So I just watched the, um, I think was it the fourth episode of Tales from the Territories. This one on Championship Wrestling, the original Championship Wrestling from Florida. It was entitled Bloodstains in the Everglades. And you could tell that this one was a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more serious. I mean, they did talk about some funny stories, ribs that were pulled and stuff. But they were a lot more serious. And they actually played off each other more so than I think last week's roundtable did. Uh, this table you had uh, Gerald Briscoe, you had Steve Kerr, uh, Steve, okay, this round table, it wasn't as big as last week's, but it was decent. So with this one you had um, Gerald Briscoe, you had Steve Kern, and to WWE fans, that's Skinner, or one or two longtime fans of the NWA, early WCW, the fabulous ones. Um... You had B, you had blind, you had Brian Blair or B Brian Blair, one half of the Killer Bees in WWE. You had Bob Rope or Roop or something, Bob Roop, uh, who was a former Olympic wrestler and veteran uh, of combat. Um, he was part of that. You had Kevin Sullivan um, as well. That was part, that was part of this roundtable. And, um, like I said, this, and I think this was about it, but yeah, this was a little bit more serious uh, than the last one, because, um, you know, they, they got to the, they got down to the nitty gritty of, you know, their time in championship wrestling for Florida. And, you know, they talked about a lot of key elements, you know, that, you know, that happened there, uh, in that territory. You know, they said that Eddie Graham um, was, you know, basically Eddie Graham was, for most of his tenure that they knew him and to a certain point, was a good guy. You know, not just, you know, a good guy for his uh, promotion, but a good guy all around, like helping the youth in the community and, and stuff like that. Anyway, anyway, they also said that he was very, very protective you know, of the business, very protective of the business, you know, because people were, even then, um, you know, basically coming around and talking and saying, oh, it's fake, it's not real, so what he would do is he would, I guess, bring some guys in, just kind of change their minds, he'd get them stretched, you know, and all of that, you know, basically guys that were going to, I think, get into the business because they felt, hey, it's no big deal, it's not real, and Eddie Graham basically felt disrespected, so he would have Bob Roop or um, the guy that uh, train, helped train um, Hulk Hogan, uh, Masuda, uh, Matsuda. He'd have him, you know, stretch him and everything to the point that there is one uh, moment that they dramatized where a guy, and Steve Kern said he was, uh, he actually walked in on this. I think it was Steve Kern, uh, uh, yeah, it was Steve Kern. He said he had to almost like look away, almost like almost. I guess he could described it like he had to almost throw throw up or something. But basically, Bob Roop was uh, stretching this guy um, as a courtesy t to Eddie Graham because this guy, you know, was you know Eddie felt was disrespecting the business because he felt that it's all fake, it's not real. So he had Bob Roop 
who uh, basically stretched this guy to the point that his nose was, blood was coming out of his nose, blood was coming as kind of coming out of his eyes, and you know he just wanted out of there. He just wanted to escape, but Eddie would not let him leave. The doors were locked, padded lock, and you know the guy was like, you know, trying to beg, say, God, no, I can't do take this anymore. And then Eddie would just sock him and sock him and sock him. Basically, so he could get the message across to not just this guy that wanted to get into business because they thought originally, oh, it's not that bad. But he wanted to get a message across to anybody else that this guy knew that doubted the realism of the sport because he was very protective of it. You know, because as they've alluded to in the previous episodes, the more real and personal you can make things look, you know, the more believable they will be. And Eddie Graham was that kind of a person, that kind of a promoter. That he wanted to, you know, keep it as believable as possible. And there was one incident they did talk about. Because Steve Kern touched upon this several times in the episode. He talked about his dad. And Steve and I think uh, Gerald Briscoe and Bob Rube. I think a couple of them had to help correct Brian Blair on the history of his dad. Of Steve Kern's dad's you know, stint in the war. Because his dad basically had served in World War II, had been shipped out for Vietnam War, so I can relate with Steve Kern on that, you know, having, you know, your father be in the Vietnam, although my dad volunteered out of high school, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. So that was, on, that was on my dad, even though, and I'm proud of him for doing it, but it's like he walked, he did it on his own, but anyway, anyway, um, Steve Kern talks about this. They, basically, Steve Kern's dad was a two-time prisoner of war. Once in World War III, I mean, not World War III, but World War II. Oh, God, just imagine what, you know, us being in World War III. Hopefully that never happens. Uh, but anyway, he talks about his dad being a prisoner of war, POW, in World War II, and then being a prisoner in Vietnam, you know, for seven years. Uh, basically from when, I'm assuming... Steve Kern was 14 till he was 21. That's when his dad was one of the first POWs on a flight home. Had, when they were freed, he was on a first flight home, um, you know, from Vietnam, from where he was kept captive. And then, he, and then like I said before that, he talked about how his dad was liberated uh, by the Russians, you know, in World War II after that whole thing ended there. All these came close to ending. So they touch upon Steve Kern's feud with Bob Rope, uh, Rube, I think, and they talk about how real and personal it was, and they did this at a time where Eddie Graham was not in town. Eddie Graham was actually out of country in Australia trying to buy up the, I guess you could say, the percentage, the ownership um, uh, of territory that they had uh, there in Australia. So... Anyway, they knew that, okay, Eddie's not here, you know, Eddie Graham's not here because they knew Eddie wouldn't go for this. So Steve Kern suggested, you know, going in a direction that made it more personal and believable between him and Bob. And he even, in his thing, Steve went and okayed it from, went to try to get okay from his dad. His dad was cool with it. Didn't have no problem with it because that was in the past. And, you know, basically he passed it on to Bob and Bob was all for it. He was happy. 
and Bob started cutting a series of promos calling, you know, uh, Steve's uh, dad a coward, you know, for being a two-time prisoner of war, comparing the fact that he too was a serviceman and an Olympian, but he was never, you know, a two-time prisoner of war, and that for Steve to look up to that kind of a guy is, you know, basically is wrong because, you know, it makes Steve a coward just as, you know, his dad's a coward because, you know, he's to, because basically Bob in character being the heel was like, look, Steve's dad's no hero. He's a coward because, you know, he got uh, basically captured twice. And Steve basically described the fact that when they started doing this, he just ran from the locker room, <laughs> busted the door down, ran towards the ring, bumped into the cameraman, made the cameraman shake a little bit, which they agreed was probably a good thing to do because you make you feel more um, organic, more unplanned. And he got in the ring and he started to beat down on Bob Roop, you know, several times. And basically, it got, this angle got so much heat, this angle got so much heat that, you know, even Eddie Graham, when he came back, acknowledged that, yeah, was, you think you guys probably went a little too far with that or something? Which I guess he was okay with, you know, after seeing the result, like the payout, you know, in attendance and everything for people to see the matches between the two. But yeah, you know, they, but yeah, they just basically, um, you know, you know, went so far with this angle that every person that had served in the, had served in the armed forces, the military up to that point, past and currently, that would come into come in, come and attend the events would come and attend in uniform. They would come and attend in uniform. And Bob Roop's Bob Roop's uh, f girlfriend at the time, who was working as a as a waitress at one of the military bases, overheard a couple of guys there saying that they were going to, you know, throw a grenade or something like that into the living room, you know, through the window of Bob's living room window. Uh, uh, not, but, but okay, let me let me rewind here. Right. But basically, they, you know, uh, Bob Rope's what, uh, fiance, a girlfriend who's a waitress at the, at the, uh, at, a lo at the, um, armory or the, uh, military base, ace, um, close by, overheard a couple of guys threatening to do, do harm to Bob in his, in his home by basically maybe finding a grenade or something like that and, you know, throwing it through the window of his living room. To, to kill him, if not destroy his house and stuff. And, you know, Bob, remember, Bob recalls his girlfriend asking him, what have you done? What did you do? Only to relay what she had overheard from these guys. So, to go along with that, Bob recalls walking towards his car um, after, um, after getting, you know, after having an event, I think, in an armory or something like that. He remembers walking to his car, and he sees a guy, a military uh, a veteran, pull out a gun like this, this brandished gun right at him, right at his, almost right at his forehead. And Bob and uh, Bob's like, look, you know, he didn't know what to do, so he decided just to turn away, hoping that this military guy has enough dignity and dignity and honor to not, you know, shoot him in the back. Be you know, and this is all stemming from the fact that. You know, they went, you know, basically to a place with this angle that got so much heat on Bob, 
that his life was in danger. And that that is amazing to find out about. Now they did touch upon they did t- touch upon uh, Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan, and his time there. And they talked about the fact that, you know, Hulk would be in attendance. He'd be this big, burly guy in like the second or third row just getting into the action. And they found out that he was part of a band that would pl- uh, play at uh, what's called the OC. Not the OC wrestling stable that we know now, you know, but basically at this, um, this club. Or the it's called the other the other side or something like that. So Gerald said he went there one night uh, with um, I don't know if it was with who who it was with, but he said that Gerald Briscoe said he went there one night and basically, you know, they talked to Hulk and everything because after they talked to a waitress there, they they um, found and she told him all about about Hulk about Terry. They talked to Hulk, set up a meeting with Eddie and everything, just, you know, get, you know, Hulk's foot in the door. And just as Hulk's talked about in his several interviews and in biographies and stuff, um, you know, they kind of repeated that here a little differently, but repeatedly. Because what they said here is Hulk had a match, you know, in front of everybody, the training match, if you will, with Matsuda. And that. Matsuda basically, like Hulk has, you know, repeated his, you know, kind of relayed himself, uh, broke his ankle, you know, broke basically his ankle is what he did in two places or something like that. He broke his ankle or at least popped it out of his socket because apparently, you know, when Hulk tried to get up, he couldn't put no pressure on it. So the Briscoes, Gerald and Jack had to untie his shoe. He was only wearing tennis shoes, that being Hulk. And they saw that the swelling had gotten so bad that it was the size of a basketball, the swelling. So they knew that he couldn't walk, he couldn't put pressure on it. But what was impressive to them is that not even a few days later, or something like that, or a week or so later, Hulk's coming, calling up saying, hey, when, when can I come back? When can I come back? You know, because they can't believe the, the guy doesn't, you know, the guy, you know, you think after a moment like that would quit. What impressed them is that he wanted to come back almost immediately to show he's not a quitter. And, you know, they just were surprised by the fact that, like, when a few weeks afterwards he was back in the gym, you know, working out. So, you know, that that really kind of told them that, you know, this guy down the line is going to be something. And, yeah, I think we can all agree he was. He was definitely something. Even to this day, he is still something. You know, that being Hulk Hogan. Um... They did touch upon Kevin Sullivan's um, situation with the psychotic group he had, which included Bob Roop under a different name, uh, which is the Maya Singh or something like that. They touched upon Luna Vashon as a member and a few others, Mike Lewin. And it was basically very taboo. It was very taboo at that time, especially in Florida, because you wouldn't expect something like that in Florida. Anyway, um, Kevin, Sullivan ba- Kevin Sullivan basically says, you know, or basically said that, you know, he was a babyface at the time. He was a top, he was trying to be a babyface, trying to be a good guy. And that what happened were, and that what happened where that all changed was he was in a match. Um, I think it might, I don't know if it was against Briscoe or somebody, but the Florida championship was, the Florida title was on the line and he ends up 
kicking the guy in the head, which I guess even, I guess back then was kind of like a no-no. You know, you're not supposed to like kick a guy when he's down, especially, you know, where you can potentially give him a concussion or something. And it shocked, you know, on commentary, Gordon Soley, Gordon Soley, and Mike Graham, who Mike Graham at the time was, you know, was wrestling as well, and I guess trying to be friends with Sullivan or something. And Graham basically, according to Sullivan on commentary, he's like, I don't know who this guy is, you know, why, why would you do this, you're not the same. And then, then Sullivan just, you know, takes the belt that he has and then that he just won and whacks Graham with it. And then over the preceding weeks afterwards, he started to adopt the more satanic look and thus his group, his Army of Darkness, started to come about. You know, which I'm surprised they didn't touch upon the fact that one of his members um, as that uh, a group uh, was was built outside of Luna and Bob Roop and Mike Lewin and all that. He, I'm surprised they didn't touch upon the fact that one of the other members was a woman, Nancy, if you will. But I guess out of respect that he didn't want to didn't want to say anything. But still, yeah, woman was part of that group too, and a few others, I believe. But yeah, they touched upon that and everything, and how you know even outside of the ring to kind of keep kayfabe to kind of stay in character, they would wear the satanic robes. You know, robes and you know, you know, dressed the way you would see them on television. Even when they were out shopping, eating, grocery, going to the grocery store, stuff like that, which basically threw a lot of people off because again, they didn't know whether or not this was a real cult group that Sullivan was was creating. Because there was a because what happened was this was all taking place at a time in this country where you know nobody knew you know, religiously, what, what to turn to, what was going on. You know, it was a, basically a battle between God and the de God and Satan, if you will. You know, you know, at that time frame, which it still is today, and, you know, God's going to win out. Ultimately, we all know that. Uh, but anyway, you know, this was at a time where that religious belief kind of thing was like, you know, really just write down you know, write down, like, whose side are you on, what do you believe, and all that. This, of course, would pretty much, I guess, lend the fact that if you're a Dungeons & Dragons fan, you know, growing up at that time, why, you know, if you were part of a Christian family, you know, why you couldn't watch the cartoon or collect the toys or whatever because of what that stood for and the reports that came out, of, came out about it. You know, but anyway... Yeah, this that's when that's when this whole thing with Kevin Sullivan had started. So they touched upon a, a feud he had with Blackjack Mulligan, and sorry, huh. well, like I said, they they touch upon a feud he had with Mulligan where they basically brawled throughout the arena and outside of the arena and into the street for almost about a half a mile and the crowd was following them and the police had to push the crowd back to I guess help give the illusion of the fact that you know the following week when they came back to the arena when the opening match was happening um, happening at that time a week later out comes Mulligan and Sullivan still in the same 
uh, wrestling gear as the week before, all covered with dirt and blood and everything, thus giving off the illusion that they had been fighting for a week, you know, nonstop, you know, all across uh, Florida, all, 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 all over, all over the, all over the pans of the Everglades, if you will. <laughs> so that was an interesting story that they touched upon. Another one they touched upon, of course, and this is where things started to get a little bad for Eddie Graham, is when he started to dip back into alcoholism, you know, because apparently, and I don't know if this is ever touched upon in any documentary, he had been clean and sober for 13 years, and what happened was he and his son Mike and Steve and I think Blair, I believe, I'm not really sure, um, were, on his, were, were riding on one of his boats, which was a $100,000 boat or something like that, motorboat. And they were riding as passengers in the back, and they were basically, um, you know, drinking. They were drinking some beers, but one of the things they were doing is um, shooting off or popping, you know, popping some beers, if you will, you know, they would, which is basically like you use it, you know, you pop a hole in the bottom and you let it go down your throat, which, you know, people commonly do today when they want to get a quick, you know, I guess you could say a quick buzz or something, or, or they basically just pop it in the middle and they just go, you know, just take it from the side and zip it like that, that being the can. Anyway, Eddie Graham's like, hey, let me try that. And he, he tries it, and he doesn't just stop at one. He, oh, and he continues to do it again with another and another. And that kind of started to, I guess from what I understand by watching this, the, you know, decline towards his di downfall back into alcoholism. Uh, to the point, to the point that he would get so belligerent that he couldn't walk. Well, he, he couldn't walk. He wouldn't know what he's talking about. Um, and it got to a point that, and this was what was crazy. They, because Eddie was a pilot too. He had a pilot's license. Eddie boarded up the plane and along with his girlfriend and Stephen Kerr, Steve Kern and Mike Graham. And... He is not, it's basically, this is the equivalent of putting a drunk person behind a wheel. You know, the, you know that they are uh, incapable of driving. You know, they're impaired and all that. Well, Eddie Graham was so impaired to the fact that you know, it was a surprise that he could even fly the plane. You know, get it to lift off and everything. But what was crazy about the stunt is the fact that even back then, you know, Disney, Disneyland and Disney World, both Disney parks were doing the fireworks display at night to close out the park uh, for the night and everything. And what was crazy about this is Eddie decides to fly towards Disney World, you know, because that's the kind of a clear path to Tampa, right? over Orlando, but he sees the fireworks display, looks back at Steve Kern and says, hey Steve, watch this, just like your old man in Vietnam, 
and he flies right towards the fireworks as they're going off, right towards Disney World as the fireworks are going off. And he's just curving around, just doing all this and all that. And do, through the dramatization, you know, Mike Graham is trying to convince his dad, hey, don't do this, don't do this, this is, you know, dad, you can't do this, you know, and, and Eddie's not listening, Steve, he's holding on to his seat for dear life, thinking, oh, this is going to be it, this is it, this is it. But surprisingly, they got through it. They got through the fireworks situation, but they were flying all over, all over the fireworks display while it was going off at Disney World. And you can only imagine those at that time that were in the park watching that display, that closing fireworks display. You know, they're watching it, and all of a sudden they see this plane just going like this and this around it. And you got to imagine what they're thinking at that time, going like, "What the hell's going on up there? You know, what is that? You know." Anyway, they land in Tampa and everything, but they don't land, you know, on the runway like they should. Instead, they take a sharp curve because Mike Graham has to point out, hey, there's another plane, basically like maybe a regular, let's say 747 or Southwest Lane or whatever, you know, coming towards them on the same path that they were landing. And Eddie Graham, again, being so intoxicated, is like, oh, don't worry, and it just gets, you know, this way onto the grass. But basically, once they did stop, finally, out came, out, they were greeted by an ambulance, police, and all that. And Eddie Graham was so intoxicated that when he stepped out, they didn't put, like, because with these planes, you're supposed to have, like, a little... You know, you're supposed to flip out another, it's a two, it's like a two opening thing, right? Two door thing, it's like the top is your door and then the bottom is your stairs, right? They didn't even put any stairs down for Eddie and he just fell right out of the plane onto the, onto the, you know, onto the asphalt of, of the landway. And the police officers who were there, obviously they recognized him, instead of arresting him, you know, go up to him, asking him if he's okay and everything, and, you know, he's basically going like, oh, where am I, you know, oh, I was just in the ring with this guy, and, and all that, and they're trying to tell him, oh, you're in Tampa now, and everything, and he's like, how can I be in Tampa, I was in the ring with this, you know, he's just so out of it, and I guess he's also, but he, obviously, I guess he's, even though he's out of it, he still has enough, uh, no, uh, uh, know-how of his bearings to be able to kind of you know, pass off the fact that, you know, he just, you know, uh, doesn't know where he is. Like, he tripped and fell, and he's like, oh, where am I, and everything. You know, he's trying to, basically, he's got a, enough sensibility to kind of get sympathy from these cops or something. But, uh, yeah, overall, besides that, um, you know, the episode, I thought, was, was pretty good. They did touch upon a little rib that was pulled on B. Brian Blair his first week into the business where um, he was put, well basically Pat Patterson and his other, significant other, were you know driving alongside them honking you know on the road to the next event and Pat's significant other was pulled down his pants and mooned them and uh, basically Briscoe who was driving with, uh, driving the car with uh, Blair uh, him and I don't know if it was Kern or somebody else said, "Hey, get in the back of the trunk, you know. We get it to a certain spot and everything, you know. When they're in front of us, we're gonna pop the trunk and you're gonna moon them." Which B. 
Brian Blair was cool with, not knowing that he was going to get pranked himself because what happened instead is, you know, he, you know, he did what they asked him to, and basically they did everything as planned, but basically what happened was instead of mooning Patterson and significant other, B. Brian Blair, the moment that trunk went up, popped open and he pulled down his pants and started mooning, he started mooning the customers at a restaurant. And what happened is that he was so, when he saw, saw exactly who he was mooning, he got out of the trunk of the car, tripped a little bit because his pants were still, you know, around his ankles. And they just, uh, Patterson and Briscoe and all of them just left him there for, just basically drove off and left him there for a bit. And Blair basically considers that one of his most embarrassing moments of his career. Yeah. You know, but again, it was his first week, so, you know, it's kind of an induct induction, if you will, into wrestling. you got to be ribbed, you know, uh, once in a while to kind of get you to see whether or not you'll stay with this business, you know, uh, and be able to deal with all the pranks and everything that will come your way. But again, overall, I thought the episode was good. Um, I thought it was, again, it was it was definitely a lot darker. I'm taking it a lot more serious than the last one. And I appreciate that. And I, again, like I said, I appreciate the fact that they bounced off each other. You know, like they would start, one would start one story and then the other would say, okay, this is why I'm coming in and, and all that. No interruptions and all that. So I liked it. I liked it. It was more, a little bit more organized. And next week we have STW, which I think is Stampede Wrestling. Or at least the early portion of Stampede Wrestling. And they're going to have Bret Hart. They're going to have Abdullah the Butcher. They're going to have Bobby Bass. I think that's... Is that Rob Bass? I think... No, I don't know. Bobby Bass is going to be there. And I think somebody else is there as well. And we'll see. We'll see exactly what that one's going to be about. You know, and everything. But so far, so good with this series. So far, so good. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I can't wait to see what the next one is uh, going to be like. What stories we're going to get out out of that with the STW. So, yeah. Again, as I've said before, guys, I highly recommend you check out Tales from the Territories. I think you'll truly enjoy what you see. And let me know what your thoughts are down below. Comment if you like. Live chat during the premiere. Super chat, super stickers are open during the live chat. Super thanks afterwards. You can also support me at Venmo at Brian-Warmer-2 and at Cash App at BWRoast98. And guys, honestly, right now, because of the unknownness of this whole rebate stimulus here in California, I could really use the help financially if you could do that through Venmo and Cash App. be really greatly appreciated. Also, you can find me at patreon.com slash bwroses, the $1, $3 tier. You can also find me at bwroses discussions, all your favorite audio podcast platforms, except for Pandora. Also, you can find me at Vimo at bwroses for content you can't get anywhere else, at divinart.com slash bvw1979. And you can also find me at my Teespring store for merchandise you can't get anywhere else, just in time for the holidays. But guys, let me know what your thoughts are overall. Again, I suggest checking it out. Like I said, I thought this was a good uh, episode, a lot more take, uh, taken a lot more serious serious than the last one, and cannot wait to see the one with Bret Hart, Hart and Abdullah next week, and see what stories we get out of that. So until then, guys, I will talk to you all later. <laughs>